Well, we are in week three of our series, When Life Hits Hard. And as we begin uh, today, I thought we would start with uh, a question. And uh, a question I want you to consider is this. Has there been a time in your life, or have you ever experienced a moment when someone made a suggestion to you to go somewhere or to try something out? And uh, you go and you do that, and it just doesn't go very well. It could be your friend discovered a new restaurant and they say, man, this was the best. You need to go check it out. And so you do, you go check out that restaurant and upon arrival, you start to realize, man, the service wasn't great. You're waiting for a while. You finally get seated. The food finally comes out, but it's, you know, it's cold and it's bad and it's a rough experience. And you're thinking like, what were my friends thinking? Like there's this huge gap between what they told you and what you Experienced, or maybe it's a, a Netflix show or a movie a friend recommends that you gotta watch this, it was amazing. And so you do that, you go and you watch it, and you're not long into this show, and you're like, Whoa, what is happening? Like, I thought my friends loved Jesus. Like, what is going, what is happening here? Or maybe it's a barber, you need your haircut, right? And you, you go, and your friend tells you, I, I know a guy, and so you go and you get your haircut. Right, and they flip you around in the chair and you look in the mirror, right, and you look like Lloyd Christmas. And you're like, what, what just, what just happened, right? We've probably all experienced this to one degree or another where we've tried to make a suggestion or a recommendation and man, things just, they don't go well. They miss the mark and we've been in this series the last several weeks where we're talking about when life hits hard. In the first two weeks, we've really talked about our relationship with God in the midst of pain and suffering. In week one, we talked about trials that we all are going to experience in life and how God uses them to refine us and sharpen us. Last week, we also talked about, Daniel walked us through, what do we do in the midst of our suffering and trials that we're to lament, that we're to, to turn to God, that we are to ask, we're to request, and we're to trust in him. Well, today we want to talk about, well, what do we do when someone around us is hurting? What do we do when a friend is in pain? What do we do? What should we say? What advice should we give or not give? Like, how do we react and how do we, how do we respond in those moments? And I think for many of us, probably, those are kind of some uncomfortable situations. Like, it, 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 when someone is hurting around us, for many of us, we're like, I'm not really sure what to do, or we've had bad experiences before where like, man, I have tried to step in and I have tried to help and that didn't go well. And so we kind of pull back and we avoid the situation. Or for some of us, right, we just don't feel qualified. We're like, man, I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm not trained in that. So they need to meet with a counselor or, or, or a pastor. For some of us too, it's like, man, I got my own stuff. I have my own issues and my own emotional struggles and I don't really know if I have enough capacity to walk alongside of someone else or step into someone else's struggle and pain, right? I just don't have the time. I don't have the time for it, right? So we don't know what to say or do and so many times we don't do anything. And so today we want to talk about that. How do we come alongside? How do we help the people around us in life that are hurting, that are experiencing pain and loss in their lives? And as we start today, really I really want to try to make sure that my goal today is clear, that you understand my goal. And my goal today is this, is how to walk with a friend through a trial. That's what I want to talk about today. And I think it's so important that we understand this, that I'm not talking about or trying to help us understand how to walk a friend through a trial. That's not my, my goal today. There is a time and a place where we do need to help someone walk through a trial. 
But oftentimes what people need most is not for us to solve their issue or to solve their, their problem. Oftentimes what they need is just someone to walk alongside of them. What they need is something much, much simpler than we realize, and it's honestly one of God's greatest blessings. And all of us have the ability to do this, but yet oftentimes it's one of the things, one of God's great blessings that we actually withhold from people who are experiencing pain. And today I want to talk about that, and it's just simply the power of presence, of being present with people around us who are hurting, and how do we do that, and what that looks like. In fact, did you know that as followers of Christ, as Christians, we're actually called to do that? That we're called to come alongside others and to comfort others in their pain. In fact, it's one of the the marks of a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So again, Paul reiterates kind of what we've already talked about. We're going to experience trouble in life. But as followers of Jesus, we have this incredible blessing of not having to do that journey alone, that God is with us, his spirit is with us, and he meets us in our trouble. He comforts us and he refines us. And also, he doesn't want us to just keep that to ourselves. In the same way that God has comforted us, we're we're to follow in God's example and to extend that comfort to others and to come alongside others in their hurt and in their pain. We're not to keep it to ourselves. One of the things you'll often hear us say here at Northridge is that we hope that this place feels like family. We'll say things regularly every every week, welcome home, welcome to to the family. And there's a verse in Proverbs that I love. It's Proverbs 17, 17, and it says this. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. See, this verse here is actually talking about friendship, and it's saying, and it's talking that that friendship should be like family. Friendship that is like family, that true friendship actually shows up best in troubled times. It shows up best when people around us are hurting. Man, we step in. And so our church, it should feel like family. It's, it's not that we're just pushing people towards a process or towards a system or to, to buildings. We're pushing one another towards relationships, towards people, towards having friends, to having a family that's like, like true friends, which is why we, we don't allow people. We, we don't allow people to do life alone. Why we encourage people towards relationships. We encourage people towards community. It's why groups, community groups, are something you hear us regularly talk about because we need people around us to walk through life's ups and downs with. We need to be that type of friend that shows up best when others are hurting, but how do we do that? That sounds great, but what does that look like? What does it look like to be that kind of friend that shows up best in troubled times? Well, today I wanna wanna try to answer that question by looking at uh, the person of Job and looking at the example of Job, who is a guy found in the Old Testament. We'll be in Job chapter two. And if you wanna read about someone who literally lost everything in life, you need to read and study the book um, of Job. And the story of Job is about how he literally lost everything. His health, his kids, his family, his crops, his wealth. Everything. On top of that, he also got a terrible chronic illness that was extremely painful for him. Man, everything just kind of went wrong for Job. But yet, 
his story of resilience, of faithfulness, of perseverance is incredible. It's remarkable. But Job wasn't alone. Job had three buddies. He had three friends that walked alongside of him in his journey. And if you're familiar at all with the story of Job, you know that Job's friends are known most for the mistakes that they made in helping, in helping Job. But oftentimes what's overlooked is how they started and what they did at the beginning when they first realized that Job was in pain and that Job was suffering. And in fact, the first three things that Job's, Job's friends do are the exact same things that you and I ought to do when we see a friend or when we see someone um, that's hurting. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the example of Job's friends and see what are the lessons we can learn to come alongside others and to walk with others through their suffering or through their pain. So we're going to start in verse 11 of Job 2. It says this, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, that's Job, they set out uh, from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. So right away here, we meet Job's three friends, and we see that they hear what's happened to Job. And they hear it's bad, and they come together, and they say, they decide, like, we need to go. We need to go and see our friend. We need to go be with him. It's the first thing that we see them doing here. They don't wait. They take the initiative to connect, which is like step one for us. If we see someone who is hurting, it's this. Don't wait. Take the initiative to connect. Don't wait. And I think a common mistake that many of us make for one reason or another, probably related to some of the things I described earlier, like we're not sure what to do or we're uncomfortable or we don't feel qualified. And so we don't take initiative or we kind of hold back or we assume, well, if they need something, they'll, they'll reach out to me or they'll, they'll call me. But no, we shouldn't do that. Job's friends didn't do that. They took the initiative. They reached out to their friend, Job. And that's the first step is to take initiative. It could be as simple as just making the phone call to your friend, to swing by their house on the way home. Don't wait. Take, take the first step. And so they do this. Job's friends, they agree to go together, and they agree to go sympathize with Job, and they agree to comfort him in his pain and in his suffering. So that's step one. They did, which is great. Good job, friends of Job. That's awesome. Let's see what they do next. Verse 12, it says this, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. So we see here, his friends, they go. They go to visit Job. And while they're on their way, they're not even quite there yet, but from a distance, they see Job. And upon arrival, they can see the physical toll that the suffering and the pain Job was experiencing and the toll that it was having on him physically that they didn't even recognize him. He was in so much pain and grief and also had this terrible disease that they didn't even recognize their friend. And we see that his friends, upon seeing this and seeing the physical toll of pain and suffering on Job, what do they do? They do three things. They start to cry. They start to weep. That's the first thing. Then they tear their clothes. And then they also throw dust over, over their head. And so what's interesting here, we're seeing that the sympathy that they had in verse 11 is now starting to turn to empathy here in verse 12. See, sympathy just says, look, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry you're hurt. That's what sympathy says. Empathy takes it a step further. Empathy says, no, I'm going to hurt with you. 
And they enter into his pain and they cry with him and they tear their clothes and they throw dust over over their heads. And this is the second thing that Job's friends do right. They were willing to hurt alongside of their friend to empathize with him, which is what we ought to do. We need to be willing to empathize and to hurt with our friend. I hurt with you. We hurt with you. Job's friends hurt with him. And in verse 12, we see these things that they did, that they cried, they tore their clothes, and they threw dust up in the air. And if you've ever been to the Middle East, or if you have ever seen a documentary or um, uh, a video of someone in the Middle East, you know that these three things are ancient ways of expressing grief. And anyone in this day and age that would have been observing Job's friends, they would, they would know exactly what Job's friends are doing, that they are entering into Job's pain. They're grieving with Job. They are hurting with Job. Now, you might be like, man, Nate, are you telling me like I got to start ripping my clothes and chucking dust up in the air like as a way to like hurt, hurt with my friends? Um, no, I'm not saying that, but we do need to be willing to hurt with our, our friends to step into our friends' pain. And so I think the next question then is like, well, what exactly then does that look like? How do I do that? What do I, what do I say? How do I respond? What does that look like? How do I empathize? And again, this is where it's so important. It's not about what you say. It's about being present, being with your hurting friend. Don't feel like you got to quote the perfect line or quote the perfect Bible verse. In fact, I would encourage you, resist the urge to say anything. Just give them a hug. Put your arm around them. Sit with them. Uh, Be even willing to cry with them, to show emotion with them. Be present with them. And guys, I know for us, this, this can be hard. And in fact, in our culture today, to show emotion or even to cry can be viewed as weakness. But that's just simply not true. That the ability to cry or even to enter into someone else's pain is actually a sign of maturity. It's a sign, it's a sign of growth. We need to be willing to hurt, to even show emotion with our friends, to be present, to be with them, and to just, to just listen. We need to be willing to empathize with those who are hurting. Job's friends, they do this. And we then see what they do next in verse 13. It says this, Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. So we see here his friends, they don't just like pop in and pop out. No, they're there, they're present, and they're there. And they're there for seven days and seven nights, right next to their buddy, their friend Job. It's interesting, too, that the the text also says that no one said a word to him for a whole week. They were okay with silence. I mean, think about being silent and with a friend without saying anything. I can't even go 10 seconds without like filling the void. I have to say something, but they were okay with silence, which that's a lesson for us. The third step that we see them doing well, that we need to be okay with silence. Be okay with silence. Job's friends, they were silent with him for, for a week. And if, if you're, you're here and you have experienced deep pain or you've ever had to journey through just deep loss in your life, you know what it means to grieve. Man, it, it's a long journey, and that is a journey that, that never really ever goes away this side of eternity. And there was a, a family recently at our, at our Webster campus that experienced what, man, no, no parents ever want to experience in life, which is seeing one of your, your children pass away. It was an incredibly tough situation. 
And uh, I remember talking with this couple after this happened, this loss happened, and just talking about the grieving process with them. And and grief grief is kind of like waves. It's like waves. And there are moments when you're doing well, but then all of a sudden you see a picture, you see an image, you smell something, you taste something. It could be anything, and immediately it reminds you of that loss, and boom, it takes you into a deep, deep emotion. And... um, I was, talk- and I was talking to this couple about that, and what's also interesting is that very rarely do, do your waves match somebody else's wave. So like you could be doing well, but you know, your friend, or in this case, your spouse could be really, really struggling. And it was interesting, the, the commitment that this couple made to one another is that whenever they would see the other person in a moment of grief where just, man, the emotion takes over and they, they would start to cry, they made a commitment that the other person would drop whatever they are doing and they would come over and they would walk alongside their spouse. They would just put their arm around them. They would just stand there, wouldn't say anything. They would just be present. And they would stay there as long as it took for that wave of emotion to kind of like subside a little bit, to kind of like catch their breath a little bit, I was like, okay, all right, we're okay. Take a deep breath, and then they would kind of go about the rest, you know, of their day or whatever they were doing. They had a commitment to one another, and they were okay with silence. That being present with their hurting spouse was, was enough. And Job's friends, they were willing to do this. They were willing to sit with him day and night for a week without saying a word. So when we look at the example of Job's friends here, we see three great things that they, that they did that are lessons for us as we walk with others who are hurting. They didn't wait, right? We shouldn't wait. We, sh- we should take the initiative to connect. Number two, we need to be willing to empathize, to hurt with our friend. And we also need to be okay with silence. And then the next thing that we see is, is actually at the beginning of chapter three. We actually see at the beginning of chapter three that Job now begins to speak Verse 1, it says this, after this, Job opened his mouth. It's interesting. And this is actually, really, you could say this is the fourth thing that Job's friends do right here. Because when the silence was finally broken, who was the one who broke the silence? It was Job. Job made the opening statement. That was a good thing that his friends did. They waited until Job was ready to talk. But unfortunately, this is where things start to go sideways. And as you read in the following chapters, you begin to see that Job's friends actually, they had a lot of opinions. And ultimately, what ends up going wrong is that Job's friends, they make a ton of assumptions, a bunch of assumptions about Job that weren't true. They make assumptions about Job's situation that weren't true. And they even make assumptions about God that were not true. And they end up hurting Job instead of helping him later in his journey of grief and pain. And right, and this is probably where we can all relate, right? Because you're like, see, see, Nate, look, they, they even blew it, and they're in the Bible. And I've done that. I've tried to listen well. I've tried to take my, my time and then, you know, offer helpful things. But man, then it blew up, and man, it made things worse. So like, that, that's why I like, man, I just avoid. I just, that's why I pull back. But avoiding isn't the right answer. I think that we can do better than that, which I think ultimately leaves us with this question of, well, then what should they have done? Or what should they have said when Job started to speak? Or for us today, it's what do we do? Or what should we say when our hurting friend starts starts to speak? 
And this is where I want to really try to get practical and just give some practical hands-on advice or some tools we can put in our tool belt to help us in these moments of what we should do. And I want to do that really through the lens of, of two verses that really, I think, practically give us some good advice. And then I want to kind of flesh uh, these out. But the first verse is this. It's James 1.19. It says this, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. It's interesting, right? If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about the first half of James, where James talks about we're all going to encounter trials, and uh, we need to consider them joy, and God's working in and through us in the midst of that trial. Well, in the very same chapter, in the next section, he realizes that trials are hard, and we're going to encounter others who are struggling and are hurting. And James says that everyone, we should be quick to listen and slow to speak when we walk alongside or when we encounter someone who is hurting. Right, but how often do I, do we do the exact opposite thing? Man, I'm like quick to give a response and like here's three things and bulleted outline and they all start with the letter A. Like there's a mini sermon right there. Like here you go. But oftentimes that is not what our friends need and not how we should respond. We should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Another awesome verse is Proverbs 18, 13. It says this, to answer before listening, it's folly. It's shame. If you come alongside someone who is hurting and you fail to listen and you just jump to giving answers to them or solutions, man, that's foolishness. That's actually shameful. So based on these verses, I want to talk about then what, what can we do or how should we respond when our friend gets ready to speak? What can we do? Uh, there's many things we could do, but here's four things that I think can be helpful to us. There's a lot that I'm going to list here that aren't going to be on the screen. Don't feel like you have to write all these down. They are in your notes. But what can we do? I think the first thing that we should do is this, is we should start by listening and avoid assumptions. Start by listening. It's what we just talked about. Be, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Listen to what your friend is saying. Listen to what they're describing. Listen for what they're thinking, what they're feeling as they're describing what's happening to them. Resist the urge to move to solutions, right? Or even to jump to your own experiences. I think so often when we hear someone share something, we're like, oh, well, this, this once happened to me in my life. But I would urge you and encourage you, resist that, that urge early on. Just listen. Just keep the focus on them. Just listen. Step two, how do we listen? Well, listen to understand. Rather than just listening to respond. Again, most of the time, what people need is they just need to feel heard. They need to feel understood. And this, look, this can be, this can be so hard. And look, I am the chief of sinners on this one. I'm speaking more to me than I am anyone else on this. In fact, if you, when Emily and I get into an argument or when we struggle, chances are that the reason we are struggling is because I am not listening well. And I am just listening to respond. In fact, there have been moments in the midst of conversation with my wife, Emily, where she will just say, she will just say like, okay, hold on, time out. Can, can Pastor Nate leave the room? And can husband Nate walk in? I mean, she's exactly right. She's 100% right. She doesn't want me to fix this situation or tell her what she did wrong or what she should do right. She just wants me just to listen, to be present to understand. And so, I, man, I struggle with this at times. And we, we need to listen to understand rather than just listening to respond. So how do, we, how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, another just principle to use would be this. Just ask questions. Don't make statements. 
Good listeners ask good questions. Resist the urge, again, to jump to solutions. Start with questions. Examples of that would be just to restate or reframe what your hurting friend just shared. Man, it sounds like what you are saying, you know, uh, is this, or it sounds like, like that. And then be quiet. Let them respond. Let them respond to the question you just asked. So restate or reframe it. Maybe you need to clarify. You, know, you said you feel alone or you felt lonely. What did you mean by that? Help me understand that. And then be quiet. Don't respond. Let them respond. We need to, to listen to understand. And then number three is this. Only offer advice if and when they ask you. This is so important. Only offer advice if and when they, they ask you. Remember the goal. The goal is to walk with someone through their pain, through their trial, not to walk them through it. So only offer advice if and when they ask you. And if they do, don't make assumptions and don't make judgments. And if you struggle to even know what to do or how to respond, this leads to point number four, just pray for them. Listen, good listening, actually you listen to build a prayer. Be willing to pray for them. And if you have listened well, you will know how to pray specifically and accurately for God's word and his spirit to meet your friend in the areas where they're hurting or where they are struggling. Be willing to pray with them right then and there. And not even then, continue that prayer. Walk with them and pray with them in the coming days and weeks after that. But listen to build a prayer. Again, these are, these are four things, practical things that we can do to walk with our friend who is hurting. And, you know, two years ago, it was actually probably like two and a half years ago, um, I walked through probably one of, one of the hardest seasons in my life that I've ever had to endure in life and in ministry. And like many of you, like many people out there, man, you're just struggling with just the losses of, of, of COVID, of uh, being in isolation, of shutting down um, church and being at home of masks and should we wear masks or not or vaccines or should we reopen and you know everyone was mad at everybody and uh, it was just like a season of angst even as a church we had to close down two of our campuses in the midst of that it was just it was a hard hard season it was also a season of transition where people transitioned away for numbers of different reasons. We even had staff, great staff, that transitioned to other great opportunities. Um, it was tough, it was challenging. I, it, it was a season where I just felt like a punching bag. It was like, man, here's a right hook and here's a, a left jab. And it was just like, just constant loss. And I was in the, the midst of that and I'll never forget my longtime Fred, friend, um, Ed, he goes to the Webster campus. I don't know what prompted him to do this. Maybe he could just sense and see that, man, how, how is Nate doing? Um, but he reached out to me and he said, hey, Nate, let's get together. And so we did. We got together. We met at uh, the Penfield Wegmans at the Market Cafe. There's a cafe attached to the Wegmans there. And so we met there and we sat down and we talked. And what felt like just 10 minutes of talking ended up being just hours of me just kind of talking and processing through all sorts of things with Ed. And Ed would listen, and he would ask questions. He would listen, and then he would ask questions. He would listen, and he would ask questions. And 
All of a sudden, he's like pulling things out of me that I didn't even know were there, that I was like burying and like had suppressed, but were coming out, and I was talking through them with him. In fact, I would get to points where I'm like, Ed, like, am I seeing this right? Or like, what are your thoughts on this? And it was only then when Ed would share his thoughts, and he was always, I remember, he was always careful to never judge, and he also never made assumptions. Ed was a great friend. At a point in time in my life, where I was at my lowest. He was a great friend. That led to over a year where we would get together on the second Saturday of every month, same Penfield Wegmans, and we would just sit and we would talk. See, the reality is we all need to be that kind of friend, and we also need that kind of friend in our lives. And that's the type of family, that is the type of church that we want to be, where we see needs and we meet needs and we seek to be that type of friend to the people that we see around us. And so as we close, I just really have two two closing thoughts for us. The first one is this. Who is it that you need to reach out to this week? And maybe as I've been going throughout this talk, you've already thought of like, man, I know that face or I know that person that I need to reach out to. Or maybe it's someone you need to circle back to because grief and walking with someone is not just a one-time thing. Maybe it's someone you need to circle back with, but who's someone you just need to take the initiative, you need to reach out to, get together with, just listen, ask questions, be present with them. The other question is just simply this. Who are the people in your life that you're able to turn to? Who are the friends that that you can walk alongside of or that can walk alongside of you in your struggle, in your your pain? And if you're here today and you're like, man, I don't don't really know that I have that type, those type of relationships or or those friends. And I got to tell you, as I mentioned earlier, this is something here at Northridge we, we are so passionate about that we never want anyone to feel like they have to walk through life alone reach out to us. Come talk to us. We would love to help push you towards relationships with other like-minded people that are seeking to follow Jesus and are trying to grow in their walk with him where you can celebrate life with and also uh, work through the hurt and pain in life as well. Reach out to us. We would love to help help you find a group, a community group of people you can do life with. Just go to iwant.info. Click the banner for groups. We'll follow up with you this week and get you more information. Man, life can and will hit us hard. But we don't have to walk through life alone. And my hope today is that you feel encouraged that when you see a hurting friend, instead of like leaning back or shrinking back with uncertainty, now you can feel confident to lean forward, to be present, to give the great blessing of presence to your friend who is hurting. We all need that friend and we all need to be that friend. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the story of Job, and I thank you for the story of his friends and the example that they set of coming alongside of Job in his time of need. And in a story, God, that's thousands of years old, I pray that today, Lord, you would be able to speak through that in a way to us that grabs a hold of our hearts and minds to help us see the opportunity and the blessing that is there of presence, and that we wouldn't keep that to ourselves, Lord, but that you would, you would help us to see the moments, to see the people where we can come alongside and walk with others in their pain, Lord, and point them to you. We thank you for the time we've had together today. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.